1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me give you just a, just a quick review of what we covered. Over the last couple of weeks, we've we finished up uh, application, and now we're, we're finishing up the book. Um, now, I had intended for this to be the last message. It may be, or I may do one more next week that kind of summarizes everything. I'll just have to see what the Lord wants me to do on that. Um, but we've been working through living by the book, the art and science of reading the Bible. It is my conviction that good churches study the Bible corporately and great churches study the Bible individually. Um, we are not in the economy of the church of the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages where everybody came to the priest to hear what thus saith the Lord. We believe in what's called the individual priesthood of the believer. We believe that while the pastor and Bible teachers do play a role, and they do, and the Bible's clear with that, I uh, don't take the position that you don't need church, you don't need pastors, you don't need preachers. The Bible teaches against that. But I also believe that God fully intends to speak to Christians individually through his spirit from his word. And that everybody who is saved has already been given everything they need to rightly divide the word of truth individually. Okay. So the role of the pastor in the church notwithstanding Everybody in here can individually come to God without coming through a priest or a preacher or, you know, somebody else. Um, we touched on this verse Sunday. There's one, one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And, um, and so it is my heart's burden that I do everything I can to help my church and also those young people in that school learn a good, sound methodology for studying God's Word on their own. They finished already. We've done their final exam and well, midterm exam and, and finished all of that. We're finishing up. You'll be glad to hear there's no midterm exam. Um, unless you want one. I can, I can have you take it and see how you do. Um, and, you know, give you a prize if you do well. But uh, uh, what we're doing over in the school is we are now moving over into um, a book that was very helpful to me uh, called Winning the War in Your Mind. Um, there are some biblical principles in that book that if I'd have heard them and, and latched onto them when I was a teenager, my life would have been drastically different. And I, I'm, I'm especially burdened that they hear these principles. It, what it comes down to, if I'm going to encapsulate everything about it, it's, it's this. So much can be remedied in your walk with God by making sure your thinking lines up with the Word of God. The battlefield is the mind. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And, uh, and we may find ourselves working that into, into our Wednesday nights here. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. And the Lord's not really pushed me in a direction on that. Uh, but we've talked about observation. What do I see? Interpretation. What does it mean? And then application. What do I do with it? How does it work? We could say the so what. Okay. 
um, and, and we've been finishing up the idea of application. There was, you remember this, the human heart most resists change. And we had four steps of application, four principles that will help you apply Scripture in any circumstance. Number one, know. K-N-O-W, know. Know the text, know yourself. Know your liabilities, know your assets. Number two, relate. How does the Scripture relate to my professional life, my social life, my internal life? Um, Number three, meditate on the Word of God. And there's an application there to Scripture memory. And then number four, practice. The ultimate goal in our Bible study is to practice truth. And the author says this, he says, your hunger for the word of God will be in direct proportion to your obedience to it. And then last week we talked about nine questions we need to ask whenever we're studying a passage of scripture. Number one, is there an example for me to follow? Number two, is there a sin for me to avoid? Number three, is there a promise for me to claim? Number four, is there a prayer to repeat? Number five, is there a command to obey? Number six, is there a condition to meet? Number seven, is there a verse to memorize? Number eight, is there an error to mark? And number nine, is there a challenge to face? So now we move into, I'm I'm, I'm skipping a little bit of stuff that, that again, is difficult to put into this kind of format. And we're going to finish up the book itself with lessons 46 and 47. Be reminded of our theme verse throughout all of this, Psalm 119.18, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And so we begin tonight with lesson 46 entitled, The Principle of the Thing. Have you ever, dads especially, have have you ever used this? It's the principle of the matter. It's the principle of the thing. You know, that's a dad kind of thing to say. I, I have gone to court over traffic issues that it cost me more to settle in a court than it did to pay the fine. Why? Because it's the principle of the thing. Also my insurance premium. (laughs) You know, it's the principle of the thing. You know, and sometimes we find ourselves in a a heated battle about something and we should have long ago given it up. But we didn't because it's the principle of the thing, you know. But that's not quite what we're talking about tonight. Let's pray and ask God's help. Lord, we sure do need your help tonight. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and and apply these truths to us. Lord, help me to rightly divide it and uh, just uh, give us a wonderful time in your word tonight. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. The principle of the thing, if we had a, a subtitle of this, it would be the Guidelines for Forming Sound Biblical Principles. Remember, there's two ways that the Bible addresses issues in our life. One is precept. Precept is thou shalt, thou shalt not. How do I know that adultery is wrong? Thou shalt not commit adultery. How do I know that murder is wrong? Thou shalt not kill. How do I know that discontent and desiring that which God has given to another is wrong? Thou shalt not covet. Okay, these are, these are precepts. Uh, not just to the negative, to the positive. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is a positive precept that we are to evangelize. Okay, um, But sometimes the Bible does not directly address a given issue. And when that's the case, when you don't have a precept, you work to form a principle. So let me give you some examples. I'm going to say it, I'm going to use an example, but then I'm going to broaden it, okay? 
How about the issue of smoking? Is there any precept in the Bible that directly addresses smoking? The answer is no. The answer is no. Let's begin to broaden that. Let's say tobacco use of any kind, smoking, dipping, chewing, vaping. Okay. Let's broaden it even more. You've never heard me preach a message on smoking. You know why? Because it's too narrow. The fact is, especially in today's day and time, a very small percentage of this church smokes that I know of. But if I broaden it to the greater principle, I can touch everybody, including myself. If I talk about enslaving habits. We don't need to confine ourselves to nicotine. What about caffeine? Ooh, I done gone to meddling now, y'all. Can I tell you, anything that ends in ene has the potential to be abused. Did you know that? You know, Listerine. I guess good. I do recommend the use of Listerine, by the way, or something like it. But, uh, um, but the Bible doesn't say anything about smoking or more broadly any enslaving habit. I, I haven't preached on smoking because I don't smoke in all candor. I used to. Um, and and it, it, I still bear a scar from it. I can still pick my brand out. If I'm in a crowd and somebody's smoking what I used to smoke, I know it. You know, I follow them around for a little bit. You know, no, I'm just kidding. I'll do that. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's once you, once you cultivate a habit, you can suppress it, but rarely can you destroy it. So be careful what habits you cultivate, you know. Um, but I tell you what I, I do, I, I overeat. And you're going to see based upon principle that you can apply the same principle to any enslaving habit than you can smoking. So what principles, how do I form a principle? Well, I would, I would submit that any enslaving habit, and that would include smoking, is, is not wise at the very least and even sinful for the Christian. Why? Well, 1 Corinthians 3.17 talks about defiling the temple of God. We're not to defile God's temple. But again, it doesn't have to be tobacco that does that. There's all kinds of things that defile the temple of God. But beyond that, 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And would you agree with me that an enslaving habit both destroys the, or defiles the temple of God and brings you into an addictive situation? And both of those things make it wrong. So, 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 you know, well, the Bible doesn't say a thing about smoking. Well, okay, no, but in principle, it talks about enslaving things that are addictive and that destroy your body. So there it is. Okay. I've heard people say that the Bible teaches you shouldn't have a television. There's a problem with that because the Bible never once mentions a television. Not even in prophecy, and they sat before the glowing box. No, it, 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 no. And so can I tell you dogmatically from Scripture that it is a sin to have a television? No, I cannot. But are there some principles that we could apply 
to the use of television? The answer is absolutely. Psalm 101.3, the psalmist said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eye. So is the content relevant? Sure. Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Does it matter how we spend our time? So maybe your problem with television isn't that you watch wicked stuff. It's that you spend way too much time watching okay stuff instead of doing the best stuff. Listen, you may watch, you may watch Dr. Pole, the vet, all day long. And Dr. Pole, is, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice show. That it's, it's family friendly and it's gross sometimes. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's got my kids wanting to be a vet because they think it's all glamorous and everything. And I'm like, it's really not. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's fine. But if you watch six hours of Dr. Pole and you haven't cracked open your Bible, it's become a problem. You know? I think the best thing to apply to TV watching would be Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Something else we've got to be careful about, and this is where I may get some raised eyebrows. That's okay. We've also got to be careful that we don't pick an issue that's dear to us, find a verse or two out of context and slap it on it and call it a principle. Now, is it possible for you to have principles in your life that are not biblical, but they are helpful? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that is possible, you know. Um, I'll give an example. Something my daddy taught me is when a man comes to you and to shake your hand, give him a firm grip and look him in the eye. That's a good principle. But it's not in the Bible. But it's a good principle. And if I'm honest with you, a man comes up to me and shakes my hand and it's kind of dead fishy it does kind of a little bit does that say anything about the man no it doesn't because that's not a biblical principle but culturally culturally i walk up somebody how you doing good to see you to me that's a good principle but it's not biblical but it's useful but sometimes people can take their little pet peeve or something that they like or they don't like and they slap some verse out of context and call it a biblical principle and make more mess than it's worth oh do give us some examples all right i've got preacher friends of mine One in particular, love him dearly. I have seen him send somebody to a visitor who's a gentleman and tell him to remove his hat in church. Now, culturally, I agree with that 100%. There was a time that men 
remove their hats when they came into church. It was a sign of respect. But it is 100% cultural. By the way, culturally, women wear hats in church. Sometimes women didn't come to church without wearing a hat. Big old hats. You know, you had to be careful where you sat or you didn't see anything, you know. And some cultures, they still do that. And, you know, and, and, and I asked him about that. And he said, well, Bible teaches you ought to have respect for the house of the Lord. That's a broad statement, but okay, I'll go along with that. But usually it's not the person that's showing disrespect. They just don't know that culturally. And then what you do is you risk, you risk perhaps, perhaps alienating somebody over something that's not even in Scripture. So if somebody comes into a service, a gentleman, and he's wearing a hat, and he never takes his hat off during the service, if I'm honest with you, I do notice. And it does kind of rug me a little bit the wrong way culturally, but I'm not going to say a word to him. Because their soul is more important to me than whether or not they fit into my cultural understanding. So we've got to be careful that we don't take something that's, that's an issue that's dear to us, find a verse or a biblical mindset that, that seems to fit it and say, this is a biblical principle. And you could expand that to dress standards in general. I was in a service. I was in a service where an independent Baptist preacher took as his text, Proverbs 7.10. He said, and behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. And he went on to preach a message based around the idea that if a woman wears a pair of pants, it's the attire of an harlot. That is 100% a misrepresentation of what the Bible teaches. Now, I don't take issue with somebody that has a strong dress standard in that matter. But you cannot, it is, there is no way to leap biblically from, if you wear pants as a lady, that's the attire of a harlot. That's not there. But what did he do? He took a verse out of context, slapped it onto his pet peeve, and mispreached it as a principle. And, and church, we don't have the time or the, or the, the uh, wherewithal to get bogged down in that kind of stuff. There's too many people to win to the Lord. You know? Again, I take no issue with somebody taking a strong standard. But don't take a scripture out of context. Because it's something you don't like. And call it a principle. We got to watch out for that. We got to watch out for that. So then, what are some good guidelines for forming a sound biblical principle? Number one, principles should correlate with the general teaching of Scripture. Remember, what is the best commentary for Scripture? The Bible, Scripture itself. Scripture should be compared with scripture and if you're formulating a principle there should be ample scriptural evidence in the direction of that principle avoid arguments from silence if the bible says nothing about something we better be real careful before we say something about it you know 
I'm not saying that there's, there's never a time to form a principle based on a multitude of, of biblical helps, you know, but generally speaking, if the Bible didn't say anything about it, I ought to be super careful with it. Something else under this, beware of any principle that is based on only one verse. Now, some verses are really clear, but those are usually precepts. We're talking about principles. Genesis 3.22, let's, let's, uh, let's go there. Genesis, uh, I didn't even really stay in 1 Corinthians where I asked you to go, did I? I just kept on trucking. Genesis 3.22, let's take a look at that. Is there anybody in here that would be willing to admit that you believe that leather shoes are a sin? Now you're wondering, where's he going with this? Well, just bear in mind, I'd be living in sin at this moment. My shoes are at least in part leather. Okay. Genesis 3.22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as uh Oh, no. Let me go back. Verse uh, 21. I put 22 on there. 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Does that mean that all of our clothing needs to be made of animal skin? No. This is what's called descriptive, not prescriptive. It just describes what happened, but it doesn't offer forth a command or a principle. But there is somebody out there, I don't know them personally, but there is somebody out there that has taken this leap and said, God put animal skins on that person as clothing, but did not put them on their feet. Therefore, it must be wrong to have a shoe made of an animal skin. That's just uh, dumb. You know? Genesis 3.21 does not teach that men should not wear shoes made of animal skins. You remember we talked about in 1 Corinthians 11, the women's, the length of a woman's hair? That's another example of that. You know, um, there's nothing wrong with long hair. And, and I do agree that we should, not, we should not endeavor to, men or women, to have hairstyles that are overtly feminine versus masculine. Okay. But 1 Corinthians 11, if you take it from context and what it meant in Corinth for, for a woman to have a shaved head, that's what tells you what's going on there. It doesn't mean that if a, a dear lady walks into the church with a shorter haircut that we immediately lay into her. No. But, but some people, some people apply a principle with only one verse with nothing to back it up. Go to Proverbs 24 with me, please. Proverbs 24. We tend to think about this in, in view of, you know, trying to figure out what we should do in a given matter. 
But would you agree with me that the best counselor that you have as a Christian is the Word of God? Now, I am happy to sit down with anybody and talk about what's going on and try to offer some counsel. But you understand that there's a whole lot, a whole lot of what we we sometimes seek counsel for, that if we're reading our Bibles, we, we get the counsel that we need, you know. Preacher, I need some counsel. Okay, what's your counsel? Me and my girlfriend are thinking of moving in together. Should we? Well, okay, well, you don't need, the Bible's pretty clear on that. Get your counsel from the Word of God, you know. I'm just going to take you to a few verses. All right. Proverbs 24, verse 6. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. If you have formed a principle based on a multitude of scriptural evidence, what do you have? You have safety. But if you're forming your principle on one verse, there's much less safety in that. Much less. So principles should correlate with the general teaching of Scripture. Number two. Principles principles should speak to the needs, interests, questions, and problems of real life today. Now, this is not saying that Scripture changes with the times. Not at all. But we do need to make sure that our principles are relevant. And I think that'll be a little more clear as we get into it. John Stott, I don't agree with him on everything, but I like what he said here. He said, it's not difficult to be contemporary, meaning up to date. It's not difficult to be contemporary if you don't care about being biblical. And it's not difficult to be biblical if you don't care about being contemporary. But to be biblical and contemporary, that's an art. And he's right. Principles should speak to the needs, interests, questions, and problems of real life today. There is little use of developing a principle that doesn't address any need in society. Now, what do I mean by that? I could call the name of a preacher. You would probably know his name. You would certainly know his father's name. And I've heard him on more than one occasion spend way too much time and by way too much time I mean any at all on this idea that if you're a real man of God you'll only wear a white shirt okay given that you have no biblical evidence to back that up okay if that's your principle explain this to me How in the world does that principle relate to anybody you're ministering to? Well, I'm a man of principle. I only wear a white shirt. Fine. How does that help anybody? I defy you to show me how that principle, unbiblical as it is, helps anybody. I knew a preacher years ago. And he said it was a matter of principle. He refused to use the internet. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, there's all sorts of stuff on the internet that's no good. But the internet in and of itself, it's not wrong to use any more than it's wrong to use radio waves or airwaves for television. 
or to use a cell phone and make use of satellites. It's how you use them that matters, not that you use them. But he took that principle. And if I'm honest with you, I think that it held his church back for a while. They didn't have a website. They had no presence anywhere on the internet. And it showed. A lot of people didn't even know the church existed. Billy Graham took some shade. And I'm, I'm not a Billy Graham apologist, but Billy Graham took some shade from people because he went to the airwaves with the gospel. But I'm going to tell you something. A whole lot of people heard the gospel because of it. At least give him that. If our principles do nothing to help people, then there's a good chance they're probably not sound biblical principles. Principles that have no root in Scripture and do... Oh, boy. This is a tough statement. Let me take this slow. Principles that have no root in Scripture and do nothing to help those around you are the makings of a cult. If I start firing off principles that have no root in Scripture, don't help anybody, you better watch out. It means I'm trying to get control. What would be an example of a principle that the Bible is not speaking directly to that, but we would translate it to the needs, interests, questions, and problems of real life today? Join me in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. How much does the Bible say about the relationship between an employer and an employee? Directly, not a lot. Not a lot. Why? Because in Bible times, usually the relationship was not employer-employee. It was master and slave. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is their respective persons with him." Is there anybody in here that is currently involved in a master-slave relationship? I'm not talking about marriages. And I'm not talking about what you feel like at work sometimes. I'm talking about an honest-to-goodness, you are indentured in the ownership of another person. No. No. So what do we do with that? We form a principle that speaks to where we are today, and we use it in the realm of employment. That's not misusing the scripture. We are forming a principle that brings it to today. The word of God hasn't changed, but we are applying it in a way that we can today. Well, it's just like David. David had no no view of television when he said, I'll put no wicked thing before mine eyes. But can we apply that today? Sure. But if your principles don't speak to what's going on today... 
They may not be biblical. They may not be sound. Principles should correlate with the general teaching of Scripture. Principles should speak to the needs, interests, questions, and problems of real life today. Would you join me in Acts chapter 17? Acts chapter 17. Number three. Principles should indicate a course of action. Chapter 17, verse 21. Paul is on Mars Hill. And he is entering into a philosophical debate defending the tenets of the Christian faith. And it says, Luke says of of the Athenians in verse 21, for all the Athenians... And strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. They were busy about forming principles and ideas and debates and subjects, but they never got around to actually doing anything with them. And I would submit to you that if your principles don't actually indicate any real action, They're probably not sound biblical principles. Principles should reflect sound interpretation of Scripture and display clear application. A principle that lacks a so what is of little use. Give an example. Would you agree with me that one of the things that's missing from our society is families gathering around the dinner table. I think that's a good statement. But can it rise to the level of a biblical principle? I don't think so. That said, I like it when my family is gathered around the table, the TV isn't on, we're not rushing to go anywhere, We are gathered around the table as a family. We're eating. We're talking about our day. I like that. And let's say that as the father of my home and the husband of my home, I decide I like this so much and I think this is so beneficial that we're going to have a principle in our family that every day, no matter what, at 5 o'clock, we will be around our dinner table eating. Every day, no matter what. Now, that sounds great until we see that that doesn't really give us a course of action. It becomes rooted in what we don't do instead of what we're doing. Claire, Claire comes to me and says, well, Dad, I'm 16, and, um, or whatever the age is. I don't even know what the age is for the choir now, um, and I'm not against it. If you're under 16, you're in the choir, great for it, okay? But uh, I, I, I just really think that I ought to be in the choir. Sorry, choir practice is at 5, and we're at the dinner table at 5. What have I done? I've taken a principle that goes nowhere and kept my daughter from doing something valid. You know, um, I, I want to I play volleyball. That's all fine and good if you can be home from practice at 5 because we're going to be at the dinner table. 
What is that? What is that? That principle done because it's not rooted in Scripture. What it's done, well-meaning though it may be, is it has it has inhibited my child from being something more than what she can be. Now let's 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 make that a little less absurd. How many principles do we see within Christendom? Things that churches and pastors will not back off on, but they don't actually take anybody anywhere. It goes into that, we have always done it this way. We are not like a tree planted by the water. I shall not be moved. And what it ends up doing is inhibiting real growth and real movement in the right direction because we're sticking to our principles. That's great if your principles are truly biblical. It's not a scriptural mandate. And does the application of that principle better the Christian? And if you can't show where a principle makes a Christian more like Jesus, then it may not be a biblical principle. So, Principles should correlate with the general teaching of Scripture. Principles should speak to the needs, interests, questions, and problems of real life today. Scripture should indicate a course of action. Let's go to first, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Here's the last one. Principles should be supported by other godly people. Now, let me explain that word supported. I don't mean supported like other people are for it. I mean, there is supportive evidence from other godly people that this is legitimate. And I'll explain it as we get into it. Principles should be supported by other godly people. In our, in our church, we get a lot of godly people in our church. People that have been saved longer than me, that, you know have been in the Bible longer than I have that perhaps even know the Bible better than I do. They've walked with God through some, some rough days. And let's say that one of those saints comes to me one day and says, Pastor, uh, could I talk to you for a minute? Well, sure. You have this principle about, um, about uh, dinner time at 5 o'clock, always around the table. And I know what you're trying to do there, but Pastor, have you noticed you're the only one in our church that does that? Well, yeah, I'm the man of God. I ought to be different from everybody. Okay, great. But there's a whole lot of people here that love the Lord that don't hold to that principle. And, and, and honestly, we're concerned the effect that it's having on your kids. If I'm the only Christian who applies Scripture in a certain way, that's a red flag. If I have something nobody else has ever thought of, that's a red flag. 2 Peter 1 verse 20. <clears throat> Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. When I was in college, I had some things I used to discover 
Nobody else was preaching them. Nobody else was saying them. I'm like, what? what is wrong with people? And I'd go to my professors, and without exception, well, with one exception, with one exception, they would show me why nobody else was saying it. Because it was wrong. When you come up with something that nobody else has discovered, that's a good sign that maybe it's not a biblical principle. I flew on a plane down to Bob Jones University. I wasn't here very long. And I got a phone call from whoever the people are at Bob Jones that does this. And um, they said, we'd love for you to come down and see the college and just take a tour. And you'll have dinner with Dr. Bob III, who at the time was, was the president, or at least the acting president. And you can ask whatever questions you want. We want pastors to be really comfortable with, uh, with our, our ministry here. And, and so we will, if you'll come to the Roanoke Airport, we will fly you down in our private jet. Now, I don't like to fly, but the opportunity to be in a private jet appealed to me. And so I got there, and let me tell you something, no TSA, nothing. All I did was walk in, look at the girl at the desk, give her my name, welcome Mr. Davis, they're boarding right out there, and walked straight on the plane. That was nice. (laughs) Sat down in my leather seat, and a little bottle of water there, ready to go. Three other preachers were with me. All three of them Bob Jones alumnus. I'm the token Pensacola guy. Okay. And while we were on the flight, we decided to get into deep biblical discussions. And I had a theory. My theory was that Thomas was not just a doubter. Thomas wasn't saved at all. And I felt pretty smart for bringing it up. And all three of those jokers immediately took me to a scripture that proved me wrong. There went my theory. There went my inside information. But Christendom is full of people that have some kind of private interpretation of scripture that we all missed. But they got it right. That's a red flag. God doesn't have secret interpretations for individual Christians. He means what he means. He says what he says. Now, some of us takes longer to get it than others. And sometimes we are wrong. But God never is. Principles should be supported. There should be evidence of it in other godly people. So these are the principle of things. These are good ways of determining principles. Let me give you lesson 47. It won't take long at all, but let's go ahead and get it done. The process of life change. The whole point of this in learning how to study the word of God is that it changes our life. So what is the process of life change? And this is not just about Bible study. This is, this is in anything. <laughs> you want to lose weight. You want to get better at something. You, you want to go down a new path. This process works in everything, okay? Number one, make a decision to change. You got to decide to. Sometimes we lay around and wait for something to hit us like a lightning bolt out of the sky. No, you have to make an honest-to-goodness decision. 
But then, once you make that decision, it doesn't stop there. Then you have to come up with a plan. I, I've, I learned this years ago. I've never forgotten it. A goal without a plan is just a dream. I got a goal. Great, what's your plan? Don't have one, then it's just a dream. The Family Life Center is not a dream for me. It's a goal. I do have a plan. Now, we are fully relying on God to bring in those resources. But even so, I got a plan. It's not just a dream. You got to come up with a plan. I'm going to lose weight. Okay, what's your plan? I don't know. I'll just. Well, then you're not going to lose weight. What's my plan? Less carbs. Less calories. More exercise. And those three reasons are why I haven't lost weight. Because I don't like any of those three options. I like carbs. We came back from the basketball tournament up in Edinburgh and we'd all kind of split off at that point um, we went back to the hotel after we were done Friday night and um, the, the bus pulled out at 9.30 my children were not on the bus I saw no reason to pull out at 9.30 I much rather would lay in the bed and, and so I didn't lay in the bed until 9.30 but you know I took it easy and we left a little bit after everybody else did come to find out we were not the only ones there were several that were leaving at the same time we were they had the same idea because we're smart and uh, anyway I've got the room till 11 what am I what am I in a hurry for but uh, anyway we decided going through Roanoke we just we just really really wanted to go to Logan's and so we went to Logan's Steakhouse and if you've ever been to Logan's you know that the first thing they bring you is a basket of yeast rolls They're good, and they are full of carbs, and I do not care. <laughs> and of course, me being me, the rolls disappeared quickly. The server says, would you like some more rolls? I'm like, you know what, probably should. These kids just really do eat them, you know. It wasn't the kids. It was the kids, but it was also me. I helped. I helped. If I'm not willing to put a plan together and say, okay, this needs to go, there needs to be more of this, there needs to be this, then, then my goal is just a dream. Come up with a plan. Here's the last one. Follow through. Follow through. Man, there's so many applications for this in life. If you're, if you're wanting accuracy with a firearm, there's follow through involved in your trigger finger. If you're playing basketball and you're shooting the ball, there's follow-through involved in your shot. If you're pitching on the mound, there's follow-through involved in the throw. If you want to be a, a, good, a, a good worker, a good leader at work or whatever, you follow through on things. You don't just put it out there to happen and then let it go. No, you follow through. And that is certainly true with, with, with changing our lives biblically, is we've got to be willing to follow through. What does that mean? That means accountability. It means having other people in our lives that help us and we're willing to listen to that. Make a decision to change. Come up with a plan. Follow through.
These are the ingredients of life change. Now, I, like I said, I don't know if we're going to get into this next week or not. We may do a, a little review and then just kind of give a, a synopsis of what we talked, to with, talked through with this book. But in case we don't, in case we don't, let's just, just kind of sum this up. I love it when we gather in a, in a, in a situation like this. And you're intent, and I'm intent, and we're taking notes, and we're learning things together. I love it. But I tell you what I love as much and maybe more is when somebody comes to me and says, I was studying my Bible this week, and let me show you what I found. COVID was tough on everybody in so many ways. And it was tough on churches. And I want to be clear in this. Our church did well through COVID because of the grace of God, and we give him all glory. But something that I noticed about churches, the ones that did the best through all of that, were the ones that endeavored to study the Bible individually. And so even though they didn't have the corporate worship that we got used to and came to take for granted, they were still studying the Scriptures. They were still growing. And we made it through. Now, God forbid we get another pandemic. We're going to approach that differently than we did COVID. We've learned some things from that. But even so, we don't know how easy it's going to be to gather in the years to come. You look at the early church. You look at how they were persecuted by the Roman government. You look at you know, the church of the Dark Ages. You look at any of the persecuted churches. They rely heavily on individual private study. And I am derelict in my duty if I don't do everything I can to give you the principles and the tactics and the approaches that we need to study the Bible for ourselves. <clears throat> what did the forefathers give us to protect us against a rogue, tyrannical government? The Second Amendment. I'm not going to go in the woods on this, in the weeds rather on this, but the Second Amendment is not about hunting, fishing, or really self-defense. The Second Amendment is about protecting us against a rogue, tyrannical government. Read the writings of the founders and you see that to be so. What does God give us to protect us against rogue, tyrannical preachers? Personal Bible study and the leadership of the Holy Ghost. Now, by God's grace and with his help, I'm never going to be a rogue, tyrannical preacher. God knows my heart. But I'm thinking of a, a fellow, some of you would know his name, for years. Independent Baptist preacher. One day his wife disappears. And he explains it, that she's abandoned him and his kids. And that God has brought this other woman into his life 
divorces her and marries the other, somebody in that church should have stood up. But they didn't. You know why? There wasn't enough individual Bible knowledge. Before long, he predictably got loose from his doctrinal moorings and now has embraced all manner of wrong doctrine. And he's growing by leaps and bounds. Why? Because nobody stood up. Now, don't stand up and oppose me on something that doesn't matter. Preacher, I don't like that blue, blue shirt you're wearing, and I believe it's wrong, and it's not biblical. And No, that's not what we're talking about. But if I come in here and I start telling you that, you know, I'm not entirely sure that the physical resurrection of Jesus was that important. You better stand up. I think that there's parts of the Bible that maybe aren't inspired. It's, it's how it speaks to you. You better stand up. I think there will be people in heaven that maybe they didn't believe in Jesus, but they were sincere. You better stand up. How does that happen in churches? And people get away with it. Because we don't study God's word. And they're willing to take just dose after dose of what the preacher gives them. And they never check up on it themselves. I'm not a great preacher or pastor, but I don't know many that give you the, the go-ahead to take me on any time I get away from Scripture. But I want you to do it. Because if I'm not right biblically, I don't deserve to occupy this spot to begin with. And here's the thing. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be all right. But I don't, I don't know who the next guy is. And there's been plenty of good churches that got the wrong guy in. It took them in the wrong direction. I want you to be able to handle that. You dodged a bullet with me. Y'all know I was the only candidate, right? Y'all should have looked at other people. You really should have, but you didn't. And here you are. I'm not just interested in pastoring you now. I'm interested in pastoring you from the grave. I'm interested in making sure everything's all right even after I'm gone. And I think the fundamental key of that is to have a church that is biblically literate and knows how to study the Bible for themselves. It's so crucial. It's so crucial. So, Father, help us with that. Help us all to be students of the Word of God and to formulate principles that are fully scriptural and useful and to grow thereby. Help us in our prayer time now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.